You're listening to the Grow Your Own Food Podcast, a show dedicated to helping you grow fresh fruit, vegetables, and even grains in your own backyard. In every episode, you'll get growing tips, recipe inspiration, and more. Ready to get growing? Then let's jump in. Everybody and welcome to episode 69 of the Grow Your Own Food podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Smith, and today we are going to be talking about fall garden chores. Now, this isn't like when you were a kid and your parents made you do chores and it was really arbitrary and you like dragged your feet and you're like, Ugh, I don't want to do it. These are chores that are not just like doing them for the sake of doing them. They're actually going to help you and make next season much more productive, make next season, you know, help you start off healthy, help your plants start off healthy, and maybe even help you save a little bit of time next season. So it's really, really good to do all these things right about now, this time of year, before we experience some really hard frosts and we can't do them anymore. And let's face it, it's also a really nice time of year to spend as much time as we can outside. And you'll get to do a lot of that with these fall chores. So that's what we're talking about today, but first, a word from our sponsor. So the growing season is winding down, the evenings are getting darker, and we're all starting to crave carbs instead of vegetables, right? That's, hopefully that's not just me. I literally, I can feel like a, like a switch has flipped, and I'm just like, give me all the pasta and the bread, and I, I still want my vegetables, but a little bit less than I do during the summertime. But don't put away your garden clogs just yet. There are several fall garden chores to be carried out before you can hunker down for the rest of the year with some wine and some carbs. Don't worry. The fact that you won't be sweltering under a hot sun actually makes most of this, like I said, feel pretty pleasant. It's nice to spend time outdoors this time of year. So throw on some overalls or some work jeans, grab your gardening gloves, and get ready to tackle the following items. First of all, if you have not moved your houseplants indoors, inspect and quarantine any plants you plan to move indoors. So a lot of us bought houseplants or plants for the first time this year. With quarantine, you know, we needed some we needed some outdoors inside, right? We we needed some plant friends. And moving plants inside is one of the most important fall garden chores because, you know, not only does it keep plants from dying, you know, certain plants do not do well out in the cold. Even if they are plants that can make it out in the cold, a lot of times if they're in small pots, it's really different from them being in the ground where 12 inches down, the earth is a lot more warm. But bringing houseplants inside and doing it right also helps ensure that you're not spreading pests and disease. So I have a lot of plants I move inside once the season starts to turn cold. I have a lemon tree, I have scallions, oregano, rosemary, that's just to name a few. But after spending several months outside, I make sure to check them for things like soil fungus gnats, Mites, spider mites especially, white flies. Ugh, we've had white flies have been horrible this year. 
um, and any other sort of parasitic insect that could contaminate all my overwintering plants. And not just my overwintering plants either. I keep all my overwintering plants in the basement, and the basement, our unfinished basement, is where I also start all my seedlings. So if I bring all these plants outdoors and I bring them inside and I don't catch the pests on them, there's a good chance that those pests could then contaminate my seedlings that I start in a couple months. So you want to make sure that you check for those pests. You want to make sure for any signs of fungus or bacterial disease, funny colors on the soil surface, fuzzy growth, etc. After you've done a visual inspection, make sure you keep them in quarantine before placing them next to any plants that are kept indoors year-round. So we do have, you know, a few plants that we we keep indoors. We have a giant philodendron. We have some purple heart that we, you know, you can put purple heart outside, but we don't. We leave it inside as as a decorative plant. And when I bring, say, my ginger and my turmeric inside, because those are tropical plants and they won't survive out in Kansas in the wintertime, I put them in the living room, which is where my philodendron and my purple heart are. So if I bring them in and, and I don't inspect them, they can infect my indoor year-round houseplants. You don't have to keep them in quarantine forever. A few weeks is usually long enough. If you're struggling to get them enough light while they're in quarantine, I would say try supplementing with a fluorescent bulb. I have had a few listeners ask me about bulb recommendations. I haven't had good luck with single quote-unquote plant bulbs that are the same shape as conventional light bulbs. I just They just don't seem to put off enough light, and I have really found that I need, you know, a much longer, like a three-foot or four-foot shop light to put them under. The next chore that you're going to want to undertake is to, if you haven't already done so anyway, wash your pots and your planters. So this is done for the same reasons you would quarantine overwintering plants, to keep fungus and bacteria and pests from spreading. Most people, you know, move their pots and planters inside for the winter to keep them from the wear and tear that severe cold causes, which is a fantastic idea. It's going to make sure that your pots last a lot longer. But that also means that any fungus or bacteria present won't be killed by cold temperatures because you're bringing them inside. And then they'll still be there when you transplant tender little seedlings into the pot next year. So this would be for things like annuals. You you plant flowers in certain pots every year. And then when those flowers die at the end of the season because their internal clock is up, they aren't perennial, they don't come back every year, you kind of throw them in the compost and then you don't plant anything in those pots until springtime next year. So you want to make sure that you clean out any of those pots. Dump any leftover soil into your garden beds. Hose any remaining dirt out of the pots and planters. Some people use diluted dish soap to wash their pots. I actually use like to use a mixture of distilled white vinegar and water. The acidity in the vinegar is going to help kill any you know, fungus or bacteria. So I mix three parts water to one part distilled white vinegar in a bucket, um, like a five-gallon bucket from a hardware store, and soak small pots in it for at least 10 minutes. 
If the pots and planters are too big for this, I stop up the drainage holes with like a, a washcloth or a shop cloth or something like that and add the same ratio of vinegar and water. Let it sit for about 10 minutes and then scrub for a few minutes just like I would scrub, you know, the smaller pots after 10 minutes. And then I rinse them with just plain water and let them air dry. So this way, you know, not only are they clean and nice and you can start next growing season, you know, feeling a little more organized and a little put together, but you're also going to be making sure that you're not spreading bacteria and fungus and pests to next year's seedlings. The third chore for this time of year is going to be removing any decaying plant matter and dead leaves from your vegetable garden. So, Crop debris in a vegetable garden are like a South Beach condo for pests. They'll burrow underneath it to escape the cold and they'll overwinter in comfort, all nice and snug like a bug in a rug, literally, until the temperatures warm back up. For instance, adult squash bugs overwinter in clumps of squash plant debris, clods of soil, among rocks, and in wood piles. They can even, I found one last year, sneak indoors sometimes. Not only that, but fall and winter often come with dampness that helps breed fungus and mold. And I know that that sounds a little bit alarmist, but it's true. So toss all of those squash vines, toss those like tomato vines, everything like that. Throw them in the compost heap. If you don't have a compost heap and you can't do that, you know, put them in a yard waste bag to be taken away by the garbage man to be mulched or composted. I will say though, don't pull vines and plants out by the roots though. Cut them off at the soil surface and leave the roots behind. The roots have lots of stored up nitrogen, that are gonna help feed next year's crop. Plus they're gonna help keep the soil aerated by avoiding compaction. I do wanna make sure and leave one distinction though. While you do wanna clean up vegetable garden beds, absolutely, clean them up totally. Make sure you leave the dead leaves and debris in your ornamental or flower beds. These beds aren't like your vegetable garden beds. They're not likely to be hosts to pests. In fact, they're much more likely to host overwintering butterfly and praying mantid cocoons. The leaves and the plant matter also help naturally mulch the soil around any perennial flowers you may have growing, protecting the root crowns so that the plant will come back next year and, and have an easier time surviving the winter. So yes, absolutely clean up your vegetable beds, but you know what? Leave off cleaning up the dead leaves and stuff like that from your ornamental or flower beds until temperatures start to warm up next spring. Chore number four, turn up the soil near any previously active infestation. In 2018 and 2019, which seems like forever ago now, I had a terrible time with squash vine borers and Japanese beetles. Since then, I've learned a few tricks that have helped me control the damage, and one of those is turning over the soil anywhere I noticed during growing season had an active infestation. This brings things like squash vine borer larvae and Japanese beetle grubs up to the surface from, you know, deeper down where they've burrowed to overwinter, and this brings them up to the surface where they they'll be exposed. For squash vine borers, the cold will disturb their their sort of maturity process and they'll eventually die. For beetle grubs, sorry, I 
there's nothing to do about it, but you're going to have to squish those. I know it's gross. With their front legs, they're highly, highly mobile, actually, and you can't just leave them sitting on the surface. They'll simply dig themselves back down into more comfortable temperatures down in the soil. So if you can't bring yourself to squish them, you can put them in a cup of soapy water and they will eventually drown. It's important, to though, to turn the soil as gently as you can with either your hands or a pitchfork. A shovel is just going to be more likely, like I talked about in the last podcast episode, to cut in half and kill earthworms residing in your garden bed. It can also do a lot to disturb the colonies of good fungus and good bacteria in your garden soil. The fifth garden tour for fall is going to be to remove any and all diseased plant matter. Despite our best efforts, and this happened to me this year, various bacterial and fungal diseases can make their way into the garden each year. Things like powdery mildew, various forms of wilt and blight, and leaf spot are all very, very common. You should not feel bad if if your plants come down with them so common, and they can be hard to control past a certain point. happens to the best of us. One of the reasons why they're so common, or in some cases just flat out persistent, is that traces of these diseases get left behind from the season before. So just like with pests, it's it's good to do a clean sweep in areas of your garden where you witnessed evidence of disease. For instance, this past year in 2020, both my San Marzano tomatoes, the ones I use for tomato sauce, and my cherry tomatoes ended up with septaria leaf spot, which is a fungal infection that slowly causes leaves to turn spotted and then they brown all over, and then they die, and they fall off the plant. Well, once those plants were done for the season, I went ahead and I I left them in place because septaria leaf spot doesn't affect fruit, um, just the leaves, so I let them be until they stopped producing. It can slow down fruiting, by the way, just because the plants become so defoliated and much less efficient at photosynthesis. So by, by no means should you, like, not try to stop it if you can catch it early enough. But anyway, I made sure once they were done producing to remove them and all of the mulch in the bed, bundle it up in yard waste bags, and have it hauled away. Now, in every other situation, I would encourage you to compost your garden debris. Absolutely. Compost your tomato vines. Compost your squash vines. Compost, you know, your your bean vines. Everything like that. But in instances of disease, it's best to just dispose of it. Like I said, pack it up in a yard waste bag, leave it for the garbage man to take away. Because if you put that fungus or that bacteria in your compost pile, and then you go and you, once that compost breaks down, you spread that compost on your garden beds, you're just reintroducing that fungus and that bacteria back into your garden bed. And the composting process will kill some bacteria and some fungus, but not all of it. So it's really just best to completely get rid of it. If you're out in the country and you can even like burn that stuff, that that's great. If you're not, you know, breaking any laws, burning it, that's totally fine too. Once I clean my garden beds out, and again, I I clean out the mulch as well. I use straw to mulch my garden beds, and I even clean out the straw mulch in my garden beds because that can harbor fungus and bacteria as well. I allow the bed to dry out. In some cases, I'll even solarize the soil surface. I'm I'm actually going to do that this year in the bed that my tomatoes, the beds that my tomatoes were in by, you know, once I remove everything and it's just soil in the bed, 
I will cover it with clear plastic on a sunny day and use the heat, the extreme heat that builds up underneath that clear plastic to help kill off any remaining disease or fungus. Once it's dried out and it's kind of been decontaminated through solarizing, I will remulch with fresh clean straw just because it's it's good to make sure that you you have your soil mulched over the winter that way nutrients don't a ton of nutrients don't get leached out also you are protecting the um, worm population in your soil like i mentioned in the last episode Next up would be to check your compost pile or tumbler. If you have a designated compost pile or spot, make sure it's healthy before temperatures start to dip. You're unlikely to have a whole lot of dried brown stuff to add after the leaves are all cleaned up for the year, so make sure you're adding it now while you can. If your compost is super soggy, it could probably use some more carbon, and carbon comes from that dry brown stuff that soaks up the moisture and sort of helps aerate the pile. So add things like dry leaves, dry grass clippings, not fresh grass clippings, dried, sawdust, wood ash, that type of thing. That's all going to put more carbon in the pile um, as opposed to nitrogen, and it's going to help balance sink out and make it less soggy and wet and make sure that the compost keeps sort of cooking through the cold. Make sure that it'll, it'll stay balanced and warm. The next chore would be to wash, sharpen, and oil any gardening tools. So this goes from everything from shovels to spades to shears to utility knives. Wash all of it and dry it right after you wash it to prevent rust. Like, dry it thoroughly. Be careful with anything that has a sharp blade, obviously. For tools with hinges like scissors and shears and loppers, add a dab of mineral oil to the joints, you know, wherever it is that those those blades kind of intersect. You'll notice that there is a bolt that keeps them together. Put a little bit of a drop or two of mineral oil where that bolt meets kind of the, the blades. It'll just kind of help the joints, help the bolt kind of from rusting and keep those loppers and shears moving nice and smooth. For anything with a blade, like a utility knife, shears and loppers, even shovels, learn how to sharpen them. There are lots of how-to videos available, and you can find supplies for sharpening at just about any hardware store. If you don't want to learn, that's totally okay. If, if you're just kind of like, oh, you know what, that's one thing too many, Shauna. That's totally fine. Try asking your hardware store if they offer tool sharpening. You're likely to have to pay a small fee for each tool sharpened, but a dull tool is a dangerous tool. Just like a dull knife in the kitchen is a dangerous knife. So it's honestly, it's worth the small investment and it's going to keep your cuttings of your plants a lot cleaner and a lot healthier next year. We got two more chores. The second to last chore is water, fertilize, and mulch trees and shrubs. During the cold months of winter, opportunities to water trees and shrubs can kind of start to be few and far between with the ground kind of being frozen solid. You can't exactly water out there, right? And if you did and it froze solid, it could damage the roots. So if your fall is looking pretty dry and you recently planted a tree or a shrub, because fall is actually a really great time to plant a tree or a shrub. Two, you have young trees or shrubs that you say planted this past spring or three, you have a fruit tree, which always needs lots, lots, lots of water. Make sure you're giving them water now while you can, while the ground isn't frozen solid. Fall is also a good time to fertilize 
trees and shrubs. They're not quite dormant yet. The roots are still growing. Even though they're dropping leaves, you know, they're they're not dormant. So they'll be taking up those nutrients and storing them for a strong spring showing. So spread compost at the tree's drip line. So the tree's drip line is just kind of like out to the edge of the canopy, right? It's when we think about the drip line, it's like where water would drip down from the leaves. So make sure that you're spreading compost all the way out to the edge of the tree's drip line, and then also lightly work compost into the soil around your young shrubs. If you're unsure of the root system of the shrubs, you know, work that compost or that fertilizer, if it's whatever type of fertilizer you choose, work it in shallowly. You don't have to dig it really deeply into the soil. It will eventually kind of make its way trickle down into the soil. Once young or newly planted shrubs and trees have been fed and watered, mulch around the base a few inches deeper than usual, than you you know, than you did in, say, spring to protect the roots from freezing. If the roots of plants left out don't have enough protection from the winter kind of temperature extremes, a lot of times what will happen between the freezing and thawing and freezing and thawing is that those roots will get kind of like heaved up out of the ground. And so by mulching a little bit deeper than usual, we're just kind of insulating it. We are protecting it from that heaving up out of the ground um, and causing irreparable damage. This happened to one of our new boxwood hedges last year. And the poor little guy, he's he's just now recovering a lot of him, you know, him. This, this, is, this is how you get. You become a crazy plant lady and your your plants all have genders um some of them have names but he the little boxwood hedge is finally starting to to recover i don't know how long it's going to take him to catch up to all the other ones that didn't have this kind of damage from winter and i don't know how we missed him or maybe we just didn't mulch him as, as deeply as the others but that that damage can definitely occur and it can definitely set your your perennial plants back in terms of growth for for years so make sure that mulch is nice and deep lastly wash hummingbird feeders and bird feeders and also refill your bird feeders so um, if you have a hummingbird feeder hummingbirds are generally done migrating through my USDA hardiness zone anyway. And I am in USDA hardiness zone six. So they're usually done migrating through my area by the end of October. So I leave my hummingbird feeder up through October 31st for any late stragglers. After that, I take the hummingbird feeder down and I wash it because it's filled with like a sugary, you know, syrup. And it just, that stuff can get really sticky and really gnarly and really hard to clean the longer you leave it in there. Bird feeders, on the other hand, bird feeders can be kind of a pain in the butt. Uh, Especially, I have a tendency to not really fill my bird feeder as much during the summertime because the birds have such an abundance of seeds and fruit and insects um, during the summer months. But fall, I start thinking about them again, especially I love the little dark-eyed juncos that that come around that feed on the ground underneath the bird feeder. They're, they're one of my favorites. Um, and so I want to make sure that the bird feeder is nice and clean and filled up. But the thing about bird feeders is that, you know, we fill them with all these seeds and seeds have natural oils so these oils mix with like the dust from the bird feed and it kind of 
ugh, it, it just like solidifies into this grime at the very bottom of the bird feeder. So I end up having to soak my bird feeder for at least a good 10 minutes in hot soapy water. Um, and then after that, everything is, is pretty easy to remove. Then refill it and um, place it outside in, in a place that's that's kind of sheltered and kind of close to a tree. So if you put a bird feeder out and you're noticing that birds aren't really coming to it, it may be because it's in too open of an area. Birds like to be able to get to a food source and back to safely really quickly and really easily so that they can avoid predators. So if you're having trouble getting birds to come to your bird feeder, you may need to evaluate, you know, how close or rather how far away is it from cover, from safety, if a predator were to come by. So that is the last chore on my list that I do wash hummingbird feeders and wash and refill the bird feeder. That's a lot, I know. And it's not like you have to do it all at once. So you can do one a day. You can do a few on a weekend. Some of them take more time than others. Things like turning over the soil, washing pots and planters takes me like a few hours. So I would do that one on a weekend. But the other ones honestly don't take that long. It just it just sounds like a lot. But it is going to help you start next season in a place where you're much more organized, everything is clean. You're going to, you know, give your plants a really good start next next season because everything is clean and healthy and it's going to be really good for your garden overall. I promise all the time and the effort is worth it. In the next episode, I'm going to be talking about all the different ways that I store garlic. I have talked about it before. Garlic is one of my favorite things to grow, and I grow around 100 bulbs of garlic every year. I grow an entire year's worth of garlic. But, you know, depending on the type of garlic that you grow and the storage conditions that you store it in, it's it's not going to last forever. So I have several different ways of storing garlic that helps me make the most out of my garlic harvest so that none of it goes to waste. So that's what I'm going to be talking about in next week's episode. But until then, thank you, thank you, thank you so very much for listening. Um, I will say, you know what, try to check out the blog at beeandbasil.com every once in a while, especially this time time of year, I have got a lot of really great fall recipes that I'm posting. Right now, I'm posting a recipe about every other week pretty reliably because this is my favorite time of year to cook and bake. So make sure you're checking that out. But otherwise, thank you so much. And I'll talk to you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Grow Your Own Food podcast. Visit beeandbasil.com for helpful how-to articles, images, and recipes.